This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. Let's get right to it. In James chapter 1, I want to read verse number 23 and 24 together. So follow along with me. The Bible says, for if you be a hearer of the word and not a doer. We spent a lot of time with that last Wednesday night. And James pretty much continues with that tone, with that flow that's important. And it's almost like that he cannot emphasize this and re-emphasize it enough. And anytime you find something that repetitious in the word of God, it's sort of like Jesus when he says, verily, verily, I say unto you. Whenever you find those words together, very, verily, it's like Jesus is saying, listen, I want you to drop everything you're doing. I want you to pay very close attention to what I'm saying because what I'm saying is very important. So if you ever wondered why that verily, verily was there, that's because there was great emphasis on what was about to come. And so that's sort of like what James is doing in this tone as the scripture's flowing and he keeps the same theme before us in these verses. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, notice this, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. Now, if you remember last week when we studied <clears throat> verse number 22, Jesus in his great sermon of the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, <clears throat> he likened a man who built his house upon the sand. Jesus likened him to a foolish man. Now, James right here, he is liking, notice this, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass. Jesus had a very classic way to illustrate what he wanted to say, like he was using the vines and the branches. Many times, Jesus used things like the fig tree. He used a lot of visual illustrations to what he was saying. James is doing basically the same thing. And he is now using verse 23. He said, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass. What does that mean? In verse 24, for he beholdeth himself looking in a glass, beholding himself. Now, what does that remind you of? Okay, we're on to something here. And straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. So let's talk about that just for a moment. I want you from this passage of scripture to picture a man, a person, looking at themselves in a mirror. This is the illustration that James is giving us. Looking in a mirror, okay? Say, for example, this individual, he, he gets up or she gets up in the morning and they go to the sink and they get ready to wash or brush their teeth or something. And then they, they look up and they, they see it. I mean, the hair is just, some of us anyway, is just like blowing in the wind. And it's, you, I mean, you, you know, I know when I get up in the morning and I look in the mirror, I can, I can see pretty well, this dude needs work. He needs a lot of work. He needs a lot of time. He needs a lot of attention here. And we, we look into that, that glass, we look into that mirror and we see ourselves completely ungroomed. Now, what would it be like if somebody woke up in the morning 
And they looked into the glass. Remember, we'll get to that in just a minute. Looked into the mirror. We stood there beholding ourselves. And, and we said something like this. You know, man, that's trouble. That's going to take a lot of work. And if I'm going to uh, make, make this presentable for the day, I mean, it's going to require a hammer, a chisel, all kinds. It's going to require a lot of work. Jackhammer, all kinds of stuff. But what if a person looked at themselves in the mirror and said, man, I know this is going to take time and a special effort, but you know what? I just don't have time to fool with it. I don't have time to do anything with it. I'll do it after breakfast or I'll do it after lunch or I'll do it somewhere in the afternoon. And for whatever reason, they just continue to procrastinate what obviously needs to be done. But I want us to look at this now. I want us to go back and read verse 22 and 23. Actually, verse 23 and 24. Get my thoughts straight here. All right. For if any man, verse 23, for if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he has likened to a man beholding, remember now we just gave you that illustration. He's like a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself Remember we talked about the dude that got up and said, man, it's going to take a lot of work, but I don't have time for this right now. I'll do it after breakfast. I'll do it after lunch. I'll do it somewhere in the afternoon. Notice, keep that in mind with verse 24. For he beholdeth himself. He's standing there looking at the mirror. He realizes it's going to take a big time deal to get this stuff straight. But as he looks at it and he sizes up the problem, he says, you know, I don't have time to do this right now. I really don't want to do this right now. And he procrastinates it. And so for verse 24, for beholdeth, he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. He procrastinates. He saw it. He saw the need. He stood there. He looked into the glass. He looked into the mirror. He saw himself. He knew what needed to be done, but for whatever reason, he procrastinated and put it off. Now, can you understand the scripture? I'm trying to get it to you as simple and plain as I possibly can. And that's what this scripture is talking about right here. He's procrastinating. And James is saying this. This is the application to us tonight. The next time we spend time in the word and we open the word of God and we know that God is speaking to us through the Holy Spirit. And perhaps the Holy Spirit begins to reveal something to your heart and to your life. And by the way, he's a pothole fixer. You say, what do you mean by that, preacher? I'm telling you this, that wherever the potholes are in your life, wherever the bumps are in your life, the Holy Spirit is, is, the, is the great director, the great leader, the great architect of helping us keep the road smooth in our life and in, in, in the straight and narrow, so to speak. And where there are emptiness, where there is a void, where there are potholes, the Holy Spirit, he is going to show us what to do to fix those potholes in our life, what it's going to take to get those bumps leveled out. And so when we read the word of God, that's what the word is teaching us. 
We're hearing the word. And James is saying this. The next time you open up the word of God and the Holy Spirit begins to reveal to you the blind spots, the potholes in your life, things that need major attention. James is saying this. Look, don't be like the guy that wakes up, looks at himself in the mirror, realizes he's got a hurricane in his hands and he needs some drastic work. James is saying, don't be like the guy that looks at that, realizes that, but then wanders off and doesn't do anything about it and just goes on through his day neglecting himself. James is saying this, the next time you take the word of God, and that's what he wants to do. He's repetitious, repetitious in this point. But he's saying this, next time you look at the word of God, don't just listen to it. James is saying, when you step into the word of God and you look in it, do something with it. That's what we were talking about last Wednesday night, that every time we look into the word of God, the Holy Spirit will shine light to something. And that something will demand a response. We've got to respond to it. So don't just look in the mirror of the word. Here's what you need to do. When you look into the word, let it be a mirror and let it reveal through the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you and take a real good look. When you look into the word of God, take a real good look at yourself. As the word of God speaks to our heart, look into it and say, Lord, how does that apply to me? Lord, when you speak these things, when the Holy Spirit shines light on this scripture, how does that apply to me? And most of us know already, Lord, what can I do about this? Not just listening to it, but Lord, what can I do about it? See, most people don't read the Bible like that. Most people don't. Most people don't even have a prayer time. Most people, most people work like this. When they're going to read the Word of God, pick a verse. And you can do that because it's all good. The Word of God is not going to return void. But that's about as shallow as, as a Bible relationship that some people have with the Lord. To be honest with you, most people do not have a disciplined time in the day where they are getting alone with God. They, they're going to pick a verse for a devotion and say one of these generic prayers. And as far as they're concerned, they're good. But James is saying this, don't do that. Don't just listen to the word. He is saying, let the word of God, look into the word of God, but let it reveal to you the need or the emptiness or the blind spots, the potholes in your life. And when the Holy Spirit lets you see that, James is saying, then do something about it. Don't just hear it, but be a doer as well. In fact, I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians. Hold your place here. We're going to come back. But I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians with me. And I want you to see this in chapter 3 and verse number 18. Paul has something to say somewhat along these lines as well as James has done. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 18, this is what he said, Paul. But we all with open face beholding as in a glass. That's the same thing James was talking about in James chapter one. He said, beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord and changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. So Here's the great spiritual truth about this tonight. When you think about those illustrations, when you think about the word of God, here's the thing. James is saying this, that when you look into the word of God, 
just as you were looking into a mirror. Here is the thing about what we should see. And when you open the word, the word not only shows us our needs, the word not only shows us what we are, the word not only shows us the wonderful Jesus that we serve, the word not only shows us the omnipotence of God, the word not only shows us the power of the Holy Spirit, but the word also shows us the importance of us being like him. And that's part of the response to what we read. Yes, it enlightens us with a lot of wonderful things about God, but it also reveals to us the important need to be just like him. Now, I want you to look at verse number 25. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, we're going to talk about the law of liberty in this word, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Now, I will tell you, every jot and tittle of the Bible is true. It's impossible for God to lie. This is his word. Titus 1-2 teaches us that, that it is impossible for God to lie. So every promise that this book has made, you can rest assured because God has said it. It's true. Now, I want you to think about this. The perfect law of liberty. That's talking about God's law. The perfect law of liberty. God's law. Now, the Mosaic law was given sort of like a temporary provision until the appointed time, until the fullness of time when Jesus would come in the form of a man to die upon the cross for the sins of the world. So in the Old Testament, during the days of the law, the Mosaic law, you remember it was, it was different then. The, the priest would sacrifice the lamb. Basically, he would do that on the Day of Atonement, though there were other sacrifices all throughout the year. But on the Day of Atonement, the, the priest would offer the sinless or the spotless lamb, physical lamb, literal lamb, and he would offer it up. He would offer it up as a sacrifice to atone for the sins of the nation of Israel that would cover the period for a year. And then he would have to do that again. But there were different sacrifices that would transpire all during the year as well. But in this right here, the perfect law of God, that's talking about God's law. By the way, the Mosaic law, the law of Moses, I don't know how many of you are well rehearsed in, in the basic foundation of the cornerstone of the framework and that, but there were technically in the Mosaic law, there were 613 laws that were broken down into the essence of either they were moral laws or they were ritual laws, 613 of those. Now, the rabbis came along after and they had added thousands of rules and regulations to what was already written, what was already recorded. And it made it 
impossible, totally impossible for anybody to keep the law. But God's law, God's grace, God's grace set us free from the law in which we could not keep. In fact, in Romans chapter 8, verse number 2, Paul said it this way. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. So here's the thing. God's word is perfect. It's pure. It's holy. And God's word is the thing that brings us liberty, is the thing that brings us freedom. Now, I want you to see something else in this passage of scripture. In verse number 25, look at that word, continueth. Underline it, if you will, please, in your Bible study tonight. Because here's the thing. That's what we all need to be passionate about is not only doing God's will some of the time, but that we continue in it, that we constantly do it. It's something that we do all of the time and not just some of the time. And certainly none of us can bear that mark of perfection, but it's certainly something that we need to strive for. So we have to stay steady in the truths of this book. And so what the word is saying, notice something else here in verse 25. He being not a forgetful hearer, and that's what James is trying to get across. Don't be a forgetful hearer. It's one thing to forget. Let me say it this way. It's one thing for us to forget what God says sometimes. But it's another thing for us to forget or what or, or neglect what God says all of the time. Are you getting the spiritual truth tonight? It's one thing to neglect or forget what God says some of the time. But it's another thing to neglect or forget what God says all of the time. Let that sink in tonight. Let that help be a help to you in some way or another. So James gives us the assurance now at the latter part. He is saying, so let's, because there's a blessing here attached. I want you to see verse 25 again. But whosoever looketh into the perfect law of liberty, that's talking about the wonderful grace of God, and continueth, you stay steady with that, and not be a forgetful hearer. Notice this, being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. Okay, you're not only hearing, but you're doing and you're continuing in that process. According to the word of God, the Bible says this, that man, this man shall be blessed. Now, I know a lot of times people associate good fortune with God's blessing. That's not correct. There's a lot of fortunate people in the world. Thank God for being fortunate. But it's another thing to be blessed of God. And James, that's what he's teaching here, that if we're not only hearing the word, not only doing the word, but we're continuing to be steady in the work and the word, James is saying, this man shall be blessed. Now, it's sort of like, again, what Jesus was saying in the great sermon on the mount in Matthew chapter 7. This man will be likened unto a wise man who built his house upon the rock. 
So I think I would be right to say tonight that all of us want to be blessed. I don't know of anybody that would say, now, now I'm sure the world is full of them, but I don't know anybody that would say, I don't want to be blessed. But according to this passage of scripture, this is the great assurance of how you can be blessed. All right, now I want you to look at verse number 26. The Bible says, if any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. All right, now I want us to talk about that just for a moment. Look at this first part. Seems to be religious. And let me make something really clear as we study this part tonight, that Christianity is not a religion. And if you have been under that impression, then you have been taught in gross error. Christianity is not a religion. Well, what is it, preacher? If Christianity is not a religion, then what is it? Christianity is a relationship. And there is a huge, can somebody say amen right here? Listen, there is a huge difference in religion and a relationship. They are as far as the east is from the west. The world is filled with religion. But I wonder how many, how much of the world is really filled with a real relationship with him. Do you remember what Paul said? That I might know him and the power of his resurrection. So the world is filled with religion. But again, religion is not a relationship. And Christianity is all about a relationship that we have in Christ. Notice this part of the scripture, bridleth not his tongue. And bridleth means, in this passage of scripture, it means to hold something in check. It means to hold in check. It means to restrain. So here's what I want to do at this part of the study tonight. I want to share with you there are three important R's, the letter R. There are three important R's about our faith in Christ. Something that's required of us, beginning with the letter R. So if you're writing notes tonight, I want you to write this down. When you, when you write this down and you think back on it, it will be a blessing to you. The first letter R that I want you to write down is this, the word realness, realness. And when it comes to our faith in Christ, when it comes to our Christianity, because again, we're talking about the big difference between uh, religion and a relationship. So when it comes down to our faith in Christ, our proclamation that we have trusted Jesus Christ to be our personal Lord and Savior, that he is the Savior of the world, he is the Messiah, he is the only begotten Son of God, he is the kinsman redeemer, he is the King of kings, he is the Lord of lords, he is the Prince of peace. Listen, he is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star, the fairest of 10,000. When we believe this and we've embraced this and we proclaim this, listen, 
The first art, there ought to be a realness about our walk and our talk when we profess that Jesus is all of these things to us and we have received him, there ought to be a realness about that because the Bible has called us as Christians to be salt and light. The world is filled with a lot of religion, but when we have a relationship with Christ, the Bible says that we are called out. The word says, come out from among them and be you separate. There ought to be people everywhere that can see there's a radical difference in your life, the way that you act and behave. We're going to talk about that in the second one here. Since you've come to know Christ. So there has to be some realness. We have to be real when it comes to this thing about reading our Bible. We have to be real when it comes to this thing about do we believe in the power of prayer? We have to be real about that. Do we really believe in the power of the Holy Spirit? We have to be real with that. We have to be real with our vision that we believe that Jesus died for every person. We have to be real. Sad to say there's a lot of cosmetic Christianity going on here today. A lot of fake of this and a lot of fake of that. Jesus said, by the fruit you should know them. So if you're going to write down the first one tonight, write the first R down and put number one, realness. Now we're talking about our faith. The second R that I want you to write down is the word restraints. Because in our faith, in our relationship with the Lord, there, there needs to be this, this bridal thing. James was talking about that. And bridal is not his tongue. He's talking about a restraint that keeps us in check. And there are certain things that the word of God requires of us as Christians where we ought to be held in check or in accountability for. And I want you to see some of these. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4, if you will. I, I want you to see this tonight. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, actually, let's go to chapter 3. 1, 1 Timothy chapter 3. And I want you to see this because in our faith in Christ, there must be realness. And secondly, there ought to be restraints. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Okay, I'm going to give them to you here. I want you to look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, and let's begin with verse number 14. The Bible says this, These things write unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, verse 15, that thou mayest know, listen, this is powerful, don't lose this, get this, that thou mayest know how thou ought to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So there, there's a high priority on the element from those of us who have claimed to know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. We need to recognize that God has not called us to be part of the wrecking crew but part of the building crew. He's not called us to be in, in the realms of pulling things down, but in, in a way to lift things up, to encourage one another, to edify one another, to lift him up. And so let me tell you, in 40 years, you've seen a lot of stuff. Stuff goes on in the church house. 
Paul says this, listen, you've got to know how to behave yourself. We're talking about bridling yourself, restraining yourself. But it doesn't stop there. I preached a message from, from this part of the text many years ago, and I just entitled it Thyself, Looking at Thyself. So if you're writing this down, beside the word restraints, you write down behave thyself or behave yourself. Now, notice in chapter 4 and look at verse number 7. But refuse profane and old wives' fables and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. Be busy productively. Be busy. So you have in verse number 15 of chapter 3 this word behave thyself. In verse number 7 you have exercise thyself. Now look with me in verse 15. First Timothy 4 verse 15. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself. Look at that. Holy to them that thy profiting may appear to all. That's what Christianity is all about. Paul said this in Galatians chapter 6 verse 10. As we therefore have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. We've got to give ourselves to do that. We, we, we just can't shrivel up on the, on the vine. God wants us to be busy. He says, give thyself. All right, verse 16, the next verse. Take heed unto thyself. So are you with me? You've got in verse 15 of chapter 3, you've got this word, behave yourself. In verse 7 of chapter 4, you've got exercise yourself. In verse 15 of chapter 4, you have give thyself. And then verse 16, you have take heed unto yourself. And unto the doctrine continue in them, for in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself. All right, now look down with me, if you will, in chapter 5, in verse number 22. Look at this. It says, lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be a partaker of other men's sins. Keep thyself pure. Keep thyself pure. And then if you look in chapter 6, verse number 5, <clears throat> perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godless, from which such withdraw thyself. So let's put all this together. Now, if you're writing it down, you can understand the message I preached years ago, looking at thyself. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, we have behaved thyself. In chapter 4, verse 7, we have exercised thyself. In verse 15, we have give thyself. In verse 16, we have take heed to thyself. In verse number 16, we also have save thyself. In verse number 22 of chapter 5, we have keep thyself pure. And then we have in chapter 6, in verse number 5, withdraw thyself. All of this comes under the ramification of the restraints that we need to have in our faith as we proclaim to the world that we know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior and that we have been radically, dramatically changed. You see, there are things that we have to apply in our life that puts a bridle on us at times, that puts us in check at times. Because if we're running around acting like the world, talking like the world, behaving like the world, how can, how can people, the lost people, the lost world, how can they see Jesus in us? So when it comes down to this thing about our faith, number one, we have to be real. We, we need to believe that this is the word of God and it is the authority of our life. This book governs our life and there are no if and buts about it. This book is the rule book for our life. Can somebody say amen? In our faith, we not only have a responsibility to demonstrate to the world the realness of our faith, 
but we have to exercise the restraints in our faith. We simply cannot be running around acting like people who do not know Christ. Then number three, if you're writing down these three R's that we talked about, the third R would be results. And I want you to think about that with me just for a minute. The scripture says, they that sow in tears shall reap, shall reap, shall reap in joy. We have no ability to bring about any results against the will of a person who doesn't want to see life change in their heart, in their life. We, we, can't, we can't save people. We can't heal people. But we know the Lord Jesus Christ can do all of that. But the results, when Jesus said, follow me, he said, I'll make you to become fishers of men. Now, now what are the expectant results that we should strive for is this. Yes, I want to live my life in such a way that the result of that would be that somebody would be able to see Jesus in me. I want to leave this world knowing that I at least shared Christ with somebody. So tonight, I want you to pay close attention. We have to be real. We have to be restrained. And we have to strive for results. You can tell, listen very carefully, you can tell a whole lot about an individual by what comes out of their mouth. Again, when we are living this life of faith, we're to be real, we're to be restrained, and we need to be striving for the prize. 1 Corinthians 9.24 says, Know ye not they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that ye may obtain. And so we're striving for the mastery. We're striving for the prize. We're striving to hear the words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. But again, you can tell when a person says, Yes, I know Christ, I'm a Christian. Well, listen, again, there's a big difference in, in this religion and a relationship. So when you, when you put these two together, the religion and the relationship, and you hear somebody talk, you can tell a whole lot about that person by what comes out of their mouth. You say, what do you mean, preacher? All right, let's look at this. In Matthew 12, turn there with me. Let's go together tonight in the Word. Matthew chapter 12, and I want you to see this in verse number 33. And I'm going to read for you through verse number 37. Again, when you lay down religion and relationship and somebody's talking, you can tell by what comes out of their mouth where they really line up. Here's, and the scripture gives us light on that. In Matthew chapter 12, notice verse 33. Either make the tree good and his fruit good or else make the tree corrupt. And his fruit corrupt, for the tree is known by his fruit. Jesus said this, O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, 
speak good things. For out of the abundance, look at this, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you that every word that men shall speak, look at this carefully, Every idle word, Jesus is talking. Every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. Now, verse 37 is the scripture that puts the spotlight on the whole thought. For by thy words shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. So listen, when you put religion and a relationship side by side and a person begins to speak, you can instantly tell because of what's coming out of the heart. And let me say this, the devil knows how to use conversation. He knows how to use speech. He, knew, he knows how to use your voice uh, to destroy a lot of things. For example, whether it be in gossip, whether it be in murmuring, whether it be in complaining, whether it be in flat-out lying, none of those are the ministries of the Holy Spirit. None of those are birthed in a relationship of Jesus Christ. All of that hovers around and associates with religion, but not in a relationship. A person who claims to know be re, to be religious, listen carefully. A person who claims to, to be religious cannot control their mouth. They cannot control their words. And they have deceived them own selves according to the word of God. And Satan knows how, believe me, he knows how to sow tares among the wheat. That's another subject altogether. Now, those are going to be vain and empty. Notice this in verse 26. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his own tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion, notice that, religion is vain. And that word vain, it's talking about being empty or useless. Listen to this spiritual truth. External religion cannot enable a person to control their tongue. And that's a spiritual truth for tonight. Let me read you verse number 27 because it's the last verse in chapter 1 and I think it'll be a good place to end the Bible study tonight. James chapter 1, verse 27. It's hard to believe that we are coming to the end of the first chapter in one way, but in another way, when you look at it, that we started this study. We started chapter 1 back in March. March, April, May, June, July. We have spent five months in chapter 1. Think about this. It's incredible. In the Word of God, good. It's true. It's wonderful. It's rich. It's plenteous. It's more than enough. It's abundant. Five months in one chapter. 
the last verse of chapter 1. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Now, before God, listen carefully, that means this, that God knows the truth. He sees it inside and out. He sees it every which way. He sees our faith in action. Now, look at this. To visit, that means to minister to. We all have a responsibility to be ministers. To the fatherless, to the orphans. Notice the scripture in their affliction and their difficulties. After we have seen ourselves in the mirror, in the glass, we have seen the blind spots, we have seen the potholes, the Holy Spirit has revealed those things to us. We've seen the need that we have for ourselves, and then God helps us to see the need that others have in their life as well. Now look at this, unspotted from the world. That means this, salt and light. That's what we have been called to be. That's what we have been called to do. So let me ask you this. How's your testimony measuring up? Are you just a hearer or a doer? James follows through with a wonderful point. I'm so much looking forward into chapter 2 because there is so much of chapter 2 that fits the day and times that we live in right now. And it will bless you tremendously. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, Visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.